He was still sitting there in the big recliner they both thought of as his chair. He was probably, almost certainly, brooding over Jerry Kennedy. He'd been brooding about Jerry ever since the funeral. When he'd first sat down, it was just starting to get dark outside, and now it was completely dark, and he hadn't even turned on the light next to his chair. He'd been sitting there for an hour. She felt like screaming at him. She wanted to say, You just forget about Jerry. He was a useless drunken bum. You got your own family to think about. But she knew screaming at him wouldn't do any good. Screaming at Gino DeMarco was like screaming at a rock. He didn't get mad. Well, he probably did get mad, but he never did anything. He'd never raised a hand to her in the twenty-seven years they'd been married. For that matter, she couldn't remember him ever raising his voice to her. If she started yelling at him, he'd just leave the house and not come back until after he was sure she'd gone to bed. And in the end, he'd do what he wanted, no matter what she said. She was making a pie because Joe was coming home from school for a visit tomorrow, and she was making as much noise as she could, banging dishes around, kneading the dough like she was hitting a punching bag. She knew she was just ruining the pie crust and would have to make another one. She also knew Gino could hear her, and he knew, with all the noise she was making, that she was mad. But would he turn around and ask what was bothering her? No, not him. Not ever. He was a rock. She was a junior in high school when she met him at a St. Patrick's Day dance. Even now, when she was mad at him, she still smiled when she thought about that night. He was there with a bunch of other Italian boys who'd snuck into the gym, and he kept looking at her. But then he'd look away as soon as she looked at him— She could tell he wanted to ask her to dance, and she knew he wouldn't. She still couldn't believe it all these years later, how she'd walked up to him, tapped him right on his big chest, and said, I like this song. Why don't we dance? Her girlfriends had been mortified, but she didn't care. She knew she had to make the first move because he never would have. Yeah, she knew what he was like before she even knew him at all. He'd gotten a bit heavier as the years had passed, but he wasn't fat, and he was still a handsome man, dark hair not thinning a bit, a big nose that fit his face, the cleft in his chin, the muscles in his arms. She'd always loved his arms. She always felt safe in them. Her father had pretended not to like him at first. He'd say things like, You going out with that Dago kid again? Irish fathers felt obligated to say things like that back then, and she'd respond by saying, Don't you go calling him that. That's prejudice. Plus, he's Catholic. That should make you and Ma happy. The fact was, her father had actually liked him right from the start. He had three daughters and had always wanted a son, and he and Gino used to go to Mets games together all the time before her father died. And when Joe got old enough to go with them, her father had lived for those Sunday afternoons, sitting there in the cheap seats in the upper deck, telling his grandson what bums the Yankees were. When they got married, Her mother had basically told her to be subservient to him, although her mother had never used a word like subservient in her life. Your job, she said, is to be a good wife and make a good home for him. You take care of his house and his children. You learn how to cook, and you don't be a nag. I know you, Maureen. You got a mouth on you. Don't you turn into one of those sharp-tongued harpies and drive him into another woman's bed. She'd taken her mother's advice for a while, for as long as she could, She'd been the sweet little wife, going along, not questioning things. But at some point, she'd said to hell with it and began to assert herself. The only problem was she waited too long, because by then he was already working for Carmine. That was the worst thing about their marriage. 
It wasn't just what he did. It was that he wouldn't talk about what he did. When they first got married, he was working on the docks over in Jersey. It was a union job, a good job, and she was proud to tell people her husband was a longshoreman. He didn't make a lot of money, and the work wasn't always steady, but he made enough, enough to make the down payment on the little house they still lived in. Then two things happened. She got pregnant, and he got laid off. And that's when he went to work for Carmine. In those days, the neighborhood in Queens where they lived was like a little village, where everybody made it their business to know what was going on, who was cheating on his wife, who'd been fired for drinking on the job, whose kid had just been expelled from school. The neighborhood, like a living organism, always knew. It was a vast network of gossiping wives, old ladies with nothing better to do than sit on the porch all day and watch, butchers and bartenders and waiters always listening as their